Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Uh, time to welcome back speech and language therapist Christian Wright to talk more about the common speech sounds errors in five-year-olds when cat becomes tat and hospital becomes hostable. And spaghetti becomes biscotti. <laughs> you know the one. Everyone says that. <laughs> Terribly cute, but what if your child isn't growing out of the habit? Christian, good morning. Good morning. So last time uh, you were talking with Lynn, I was away, but yeah. we didn't quite get through the topic. So do you want to just summarise yeah, where we sure. got to last time? So basically where we got to was we talked about the five common sounds for five-year-olds. So the sounds they often struggle with when they start at school. Um, back sounds, Ks and Gs. They go to T's and D's. They often have can have trouble with blends, so S and L blends like spider, smoke, or um, glasses, or clown. Um, S's and F's, those long sounds, sometimes they struggle with those. They make them short. They turn them into D's and B's. Um, the L's and the R's, uh, those are the tongue, complex tongue, tongue tip sounds where you've got to lift your tongue up. They str- often struggle with those, and you get some strange sounds, particularly with the R. Um, and then lastly, the TH sound, the infamous TH. So um, we're getting, having trouble getting the tongue between their teeth. So what we managed to cover last time was to talk, um, peop- uh, listeners can go back to the previous segment on it and hear what we talked about there where we just covered off speech sound norms and then the basic approach that we take, um, which is the used by the acronym DIVA, which is just one I made up because I was trying to find a way to help parents remember it. Um, so D for discriminate, that's helping the child to hear that they've made the error. Um, and then I for isolate, so teaching them how to make the sound. And then a V is for visualise, so giving them a way to conceptualise the sound in their mind. So that could be gestural um, or pictorial. And then lastly, it was a bit of a stretch, ameliorate. It's not exactly a common word, but uh, it works for Diva. And um, that's just the treatment approach itself. So where we were going to pick up today was going straight into talking about fixing those consonant blend errors. That's where we left off last time. Um, S-blends, that's a really common one. There's lots of biters um, for spiders um, and lots of gates for skates, um, lides for slides. So a lot of these kids who get to school and um, the teachers and the parent, the parents are aware of it and the teachers become very aware of it, obviously, as they're trying to teach them to read. Um, as a general rule, a five-year-old should be, uh, if not 100% intelligible, 98% intelligible, with very few speech sound errors. Maybe a TH issue, maybe an R issue, but that's about it. Um, so these other errors that we're talking about immediately place them in the category that um, it's not a case of he's a boy and he spoke late or boys are slower than girls. This is just the general population uh, usually do very well with their speech sounds when they reach school. So those S blends, most typically what they do, children, is they delete the S off the S blend. 
that's the most typical pattern. And when a child's doing that, what they're doing is they're swapping that sound out, just getting rid of it altogether. Um, and they are, as a consequence of that, um, sometimes they're not even aware that they're doing it. So that's where we start, discriminate. So how we do that is we present them two pictures, snail and nail. And you are saying to them, point to the one that I say, nail, and they point, hopefully point to nail, point to snail, and they hopefully make the distinction. Believe it or not, there are a small group of children who don't. They don't hear that distinction. They don't really understand it. Is that um, a different issue from most children? Yes, it is. Like a pro- auditory processing or some other issue? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, it is. Often it's um, a more concerning issue when they don't discriminate. What we believe to be the case there is the children who can discriminate but can't make the sound change, that's a motor coordination error. It's a planning error. The children who don't discriminate in the first instance up in their brain, they're actually not categorising the sounds properly. It is possible that because they've always called a snail a nail, mm-hmm. that's become what it is to them. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't go straight to, ah, you could just be trying to, in the first instance, clarify that the correct word for what this thing looks like sounds like yep. this. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's but right. then if it persists. And then if it persists, you would want to introduce, obviously, the the snake sound, the S sound mm. to them, call it snake sound because that's part of the visualising. Mm. So then what they're going to do is, I've never met a child, uh, there are not many children I meet who can't make an S. For mm. some reason, most kids can make an S. And S blends are actually really easy because all that's missing is the S. So as soon as they start hissing, they're, they're halfway there. So they hiss and then they say their word, nail, and all of a sudden it goes together, it makes snail. Um, and that's half the, the, the problem because... We are trying to teach them to visualise it as well. So we're showing them a snake picture and we're talking about making a hissing sound before that word um, that they're doing and then celebrating that they've done it. Oh, you've said it like how I say it. I put a snake sound at the front. Um, And then off we go into the treatment because we know they can hear the difference, they can fix it, and now we're going to start treating it. And this is the bit that's frustrating across all sounds for parents and teachers. There's often a misunderstanding because the child can say it when you teach it. Why aren't they saying it in conversational speech? Because they said it. And because conversational speech, the complexity of what you and I are doing right now, it's fast. Um, you, your tongue is articulating many different postures in milliseconds. Um, it's crazy. And they cannot um, organise this new motor skill to drop it conversationally. It's comparable to us learning a new language. Just because I can sit and say a word in a single word in a foreign language doesn't mean I can automatically retrieve it and produce it yeah, in conversation. That's it right. takes practice. Yeah, it does. It does take practice and patience. Hmm. And as I say to many parents I work with, the unfortunate aspect of speech sound therapy is it's really boring. It's so boring. Um, because what it really requires is the child to engage in hundreds of repetitions of this new pattern to entrench it. So I usually aim for 100 to 150 repetitions per sit-down. So that sounds like a lot, but when you do them in groups of 10, you get through it relatively quick. You're trying to entrench within this child this new sound change. Um, so well, that's encouraging itself, sorry to interrupt no, that's you, right. that it takes that long. Because yeah. if you give it a go, you don't want to go, again, it doesn't work, hands up in the air, that's persist. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And <clears throat> persist with um, a view to generalisation, which is an important um, point for teachers and parents, and that is there are different ways to approach speech sound therapy. Everyone wants an outcome. And one of the easiest ways to do that is rather than the idea of 
um, having a wide variety of words that you're working on. Then simplify it down to a few targets that come up often in the child's life. Because that is because part of the issue isn't just them making the sound, it's whether it's memorable. So a lovely little boy I was working with just this morning, for the life of me, he's tried so hard to fix his S. Not, not S blends, that's the next thing we're talking about, those long sounds. And he can hear it, he can say it when you sit there and do it with him, but he never generalises it to speech. He really struggles with this. So what his mum and I have done is we literally narrowed it down to two words, strange words, sock and son. And that's it. And that's all we're treating. Makes a lot of sense. Because he puts his socks on every morning. But also just giving him the simplest number of things to concentrate on mm. instead of going straight to general application. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I was talking to Moana Maniapoto yesterday about, and I mucked up the word rangatiratanga, which mm-hmm. I can say to you now, mm. I've also written it down. But mm. often um, with Maori pronunciation, you've got, you know you're going to be doing some of it in an interview and you get all tense and of course what happens? Your organs of articulation can't function properly, you're all tense. What was natural when you've practiced it suddenly becomes a thing. Yeah. And that's another reason to keep it simple. You don't want it to become too big a thing yeah. or other things can get in the way. Yes. Um, but just keeping it to, st- what was it, sock and... Sun. Just keep trying two words, two words, two words until they're got. Makes a lot of sense. It does. And because the child is, your, your correction, your feedback to them is in the context of their life. Mm. And that's important because children learn in, by, the children learn by living life. Yeah. And in actual fact, school is quite a strange beast because it basically, it's it trying takes to. Takes chunks of life and it puts does. it in a classroom. It does. And makes it very focused. It mm. does. For mm. the purpose that, like we do with a standardised test, you're trying to condense mm. a bunch of um, questions into a short space of time to get the, the fastest outcome you can to make a decision. So how do we learn language? We learn language by sock, pointing at a sock. Yeah, we do. That's not not by sitting in a classroom. Absolutely. Okay, so that's your recommendation. Keep it super... If they're struggling, and even after all that repetition, which you've committed to, they're still struggling, Keep pick a couple of words yep. that include what you're trying to, to, to teach and that's keep at right. it till they've got them. And, and then what, you can add another word? Yeah, you can. That's, yeah. The, that's the thing, yeah. So you are, it feels like a drop in the bucket, but for most of us as adults, we need to have a feeling that we are succeeding and we're going somewhere mm-hmm. because the worst thing for any therapy is hopelessness, the mm. feeling that you're not really um, creating any change. Or are the tensions coming, in, coming yeah. in on either side? All right, so that's... S itself, and we yep. do that with the hiss. S blends, that's right, right, the hiss. Where are we going now? Um, well, let's jump down to R and L. Um, those are tricky sounds for lots of kids. Um, they're tongue tip sounds, so what happens there is for the L, the tongue needs to get right up just behind the top teeth onto the gum ridge, and for the R, which is the weirdest of sounds, your tongue actually floats about halfway back and up. It's so bizarre. And when you actually, like I have with many parents when I'm teaching these sounds, they get weirded out by it when they start trying to do it themselves. We don't think about these these articulatory positions, but when a child's struggling with them and you start talking them through how to fix it, you realise how odd it is. So R is, we'll just focus on that because that is quite a common one. R, so what we're going to do is the discrimination, then we're going to isolate. So first of all, can they hear rabbit wabbit or rabbit um, yabbit? Sometimes they change it to that one. 
anyway, then we're going to isolate it. This is the talking bit. So you're going to say to the child, I need you to get your tongue tip, and you are actually going to get them to touch the tip of their tongue. They don't know what a tongue tip is most of the time. Um, and you're going to lift it up, and you're going to make it go halfway back in your mouth, up near the top. And then you're going to turn your voice on. So there's three movements to R. Your tongue rises to a peak. It pauses. Your voice turns on, movement two. And then movement three, it falls away. So it goes, like that. If you hold it up there, you get the sustained R. But of course, we're always moving out of that position. So this is what we're trying to teach these children. And there's no point in going any further until a child can do that movement because you'll just get all weirdness going on in in their speech. So um, many parents are keen to fix R because there is an unfortunate sound substitution with R for some children where the TR sound is replaced with an F and there is a large vehicle called a truck. And I have... It comes up. It does. (laughs) And I have had these... These oh, these no. these pristine mm. beautiful little children sitting there, and all of a sudden, out comes that. Effing and blinding, yeah. And, and it is quite funny. At school <laughs> the strangest one I ever had was actually a boy who um, he had he loved trucks, and the dump truck pulled up outside. He were they were an American family, and he deleted the last sound in, in some of his words as well. So dump was dumb, and truck changed to f. <laughs> so he went out, and because he loves laugh. these, oh, and he please. started yelling to the man who'd got out of the truck. Oh. Dumb, yeah. dumb like that. And the man stood there as this five-year-old was yelling it out to him and didn't really know what to do. And his mother said, he's sorry, so sorry. He's got a speech issue and we're getting it fixed. And the uh, the garbage man said, yeah, you might want to work on that. And he wasn't very impressed, yeah, but it's yeah. <laughs> a bit awkward for him. Yeah. But anyway, um, so those are that's the R movement. And then the idea being with that R, um, we want to then move it into treatment. Now, it's... You've got to be so careful with R because it's complicated that you must start as simply as possible. Just put a vowel with it. Don't go any further than that. So what might that be? Re, ra, ru, ro, Don't even worry ra. about it being a word. No, no, forget about it. It's mm-hmm. too hard. This is one of the complicated yep. sounds to fix. So that's where you're going to start. Number two, don't get carried away and keep your brain switched on. In New Zealand English, we don't make R on the ends of words. We say A-H. We, we do. So yeah. car. Like I've had Americans said. and Canadians say, how come you don't say R? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and as a speech therapist... I'm a southerner, though, so sometimes <laughs> I can pull out quite a good R. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we say A-H, don't we? We do. We say car, far, I, we let it fall away. We do let it fall away, and I often feel like I'm not very smart when I'm around Americans and I say car. Yeah. However, um, we can make it. Like, when I want to make a proper R, I do. And, yeah. And you want that... that Physiological yes, knowledge you do. to be there. Yeah. So yes. So we. So keeping in mind that we only articulate R at the beginnings and in the middles of words. Mm. We don't do it on the end. So don't get carried away and start teaching. I've had children turn up who, um, well-meaning people have taught them mother, mm. and putting an R on. We don't articulate no. it there. So the rule of thumb is, how do you say it, and that's how you should be teaching it. Okay. So um, that's the R, and then what we're going to do with that R is move it from, once you've got it established with a vowel, um, be aware, some vowels like oo, your lips form a round circle when you say oo. Mm. So if you're teaching a child R and they say W for R, wh, there's an immediate problem with that vowel. That vowel, oo, is going to trigger W because the lips want to be rounded for oo. The R will immediately, because they're struggling with R and trying not to make it, it a W, they'll anticipate So it. do you leave oo off? Yep. 
I wait. Yeah. I treat everything else. Kangaroos I go for the easy stuff. Kangaroos can wait. They can wait. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> can. Now, let's face it. It's the only roo you need. Well, <laughs> That's I right. can think of some more now. I get going. All right. So that... The order in which you add things is important with R. Anything else with R? Um, and then obviously progressing it off often to words. Mm. Um, as long as they've got a stable R and they can get into that position, you take your time and you let them go slowly and you move through it. Um, I find with R that um, I am always, the, the generally with speech sound therapy, the order I work on is accuracy first. So go slow and be accurate then work on blending the sound in. So blending in meaning whatever sound you're working on. Most children have trouble, like if it's an F, most children can go um, F, or, but if you get them to go for, they'll go F, bore, mm. and they'll reinsert the error. And that's because the vowel, the or, the buzziness of that, sometimes triggers the error in the F. So go slow, get them to stretch it. Um, and how I often will do this is I'll put Sometimes for some words, like Fs and Ss, long ones, when they're trying to make them short, just one quick um, idea here before we answer some questions, um, is I'll put an H. It's called the aspiration technique, and what you're doing is you're putting a little H after the target sound. So th, whore, or whatever, or s, high, for psi. So that little H acts as a buffer between the onset of the consonant and the vowel that's coming later that wants to buzz and cause the voiceless, the, the whispery consonant, to start to trigger the error. So that little buffer is really important. It's like almost like a not a glottal stop, but just a stop that is. separates the it two separates speech forms. And if you speed that up, it disappears. Christian, you know, listening to you talk about, I mean, we don't think about how we form an R. Understanding the incredible sophistication and intricacy of forming letters can perhaps help with patience yeah. when only one or two or three are missing. Yep. Um, it's an incredible mechanism, and, it is. and the, the, it's going to take patience for the, to get the physiological response right. Okay, so just a couple of questions for you. My son's five, and his first term at school, he gets his A and B prefixes round the wrong way. For example, instead of before, be rest instead of arrest. Mm-hmm. Or afore instead of before. Got it. And be rest instead of arrest. He's mm-hmm. doing well at school. His teachers say he's smart. Mm-hmm. Is this something I should be concerned about? This is also, I would pick that if he says behind, he says ahind. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, it's nothing to be overly concerned about as long as everything else is going okay. But um, to be rest assured, I have treated so many children where they do this. I just did it this morning with my first um, family where we were working on the concept of behind. And I said to the family, when I work on this, the child will say hind. Then they'll say ahind or dahind. And then they'll move to behind. It's weird. And I and I don't. Sometimes I can't. B is quite a it. big sound to make. A hind yeah. is just maybe quicker. It, it <laughs> easier. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be. Mm. Um, you have to make the big B. Sound. You don't have to close your lips. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And so what I usually do to fix it is I use an icon. So I draw a B. Mm. Um, I've got all these little drawings that I know how to do. So I've done them hundreds of times. Just draw a simple B, and then I point to the B and I say B hind or B4, so put a B, put a 4 next to it, B4, and then I say to them, when we say B4, we say it with like the B sound, the buzzy B, the B, and I try to point that out. What I'm trying to do there is bypass what's not working for them. Auditorily, he hasn't picked it up, so visually he might. 
Okay, one more here. What is it that causes some children and adults to pronounce the suffix ing as een? This has long perplexed me. Een. <laughs> I can't say I've had that's that one. It's just laziness, isn't it, I suppose? I'm but... not sure. Yeah, that's quirky. I've not um, come across it. The more common one I've come across, of course, is the TH that Surprising. changes to an F. But... We're lazy speakers in some ways, aren't we? I think that's a lot of it. Most are observations except someone who asks about a teenager, 16-year-old, he says whiff when he means with, struggling oh, yeah. on th. That's we might the be doing th next time. Yeah, TH next yeah time. we could do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he or she also wants you to get him to stop saying like as a filler four times in every sentence, but I think that's beyond your brief. <laughs> Thanks also to those who pointed out it's not five-year-olds. George W. was an example of nuclear any time he talked of deterrent. <laughs> <laughs> and a few more in that vein. Thanks very much, Christian Wright. No worries. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.